0: Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Eccentric, the makers of the K-Box and the new K-Pulley. Guys, flywheel training's really grown in popularity of late, and although it's something that's been around for a while, the simple reason that it's grown in popularity is because it works. We've been lucky to have a K box in our weight room for the past three years, and we've seen some really great things when it comes to improving the athlete's ability to change direction, and then looking at our return to play protocols with different lower body injuries with the student-athletes. The love-hate relationship that everyone has with the K-Box is now just going to grow more with the addition of the k pulley. The ability to do standing presses, pulls, rip-throughs, and knee drive exercises is just going to be another arsenal to our training and another addition to the love-hate relationship that our student-athletes have with the awesome tools that come from Eccentric. Go ahead and hop over to Eccentric.com today to check out what they have. Guys, I can't recommend it enough, and I guarantee you won't be disappointed not just with the products, but with the awesome customer service that Eccentric provides. Hey everybody, if you enjoy the podcast and the content that it provides, make sure you hop over and check out the all-new Strength Coach Network. The Strength Coach Network is a combination of the CVA SPS community and the Rugby Strength Coach community, bringing you what is sure to be the internet's leading resource for continuing education for strength and conditioning professionals. Combining these two resources has allowed us to bring some of the best content from some of the best minds in the world together for your one-stop shop to better improve the continuing education for not just yourself, but your entire staff. Bringing together all of the lectures from the Rugby Strength Coach community, along with the lectures exclusively done for the Central Virginia Sport Performance community, and all the lectures performed at the Central Virginia Sport Performance Seminar, make this an absolute must for performance coaches around the world. The world-class lectures at the Strength Coach Network are not all that you'll see as well. The discussion in the forums and the support and the career guidance from some of the top practitioners in the world, from people all over the world, makes this an absolute must and a great place for you to network, learn, and grow as a performance professional. So hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com and use the code CVASPS, that's C-V-A-S-P-S, to get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. We're sure you're gonna find great value in the Strength Coach Network and are really excited to have you involved. So hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com and use the code Cvasps to check it out today. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Today, guys, we are rejoined by the University of Kentucky's Dr. Chris Morris to discuss some real-world situations that rise in the world of performance science. We get a little quick catch-up with Dr. Morris as uh, he returns to the show, and then we get right into some situations where he feels he's uh, found some success. And then he's even open enough to share with us some roadblocks that he's had along the way and some things where he's seen some issues in the performance science world when it comes to athletics. This leads him right into sharing with us these ideas that he came to, which are his four values, how they impact what he's doing, and how they've helped him sort of focus and find things and get things moving in a positive direction again. We then run down the rabbit hole, guys, about you know developing programs, the monitoring process, and communicating throughout the department. This includes some really neat ways that they're looking at the evaluation points and tools that they're using with their athletes. And how they're communicating this stuff with them in order to help not just drive buy-in, but communicate better with the athletes what's going on and how they're improving. You know, when we finish off, you know, we kind of playing a little game where I asked Dr. Morris what he would say to me 10 years ago that would help all of us drive the profession forward and provide a better performance science program. This is really an awesome talk, guys. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. Let's get right to it. Doc, welcome back, brother.
1: Thanks for having me again.
0: Yeah, man. Listen, let's. Uh, I'm excited for this. We were just talking about some stuff off camera, but let's let's get caught up. Where's Where's Doctor Morris? What do you What have you been up to since we last talked here? Gosh, it was like an episode in the 30s, I think. This is gonna be like 191. So we've yeah, been doing so the show for a second.
1: It's been three years, I think, since we talked. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny because. When I left Kentucky and went to Texas, they created this new job. You're starting to see more of them pop up, this kind of director of sports science, performance science. And, you know, I think when I talked to you, I was maybe just like a month and a half into the job. So I was still trying to figure out, OK, what is that? Um, and so part of it was just kind of building relationships down in Texas, um, trying to implement kind of the fluid periodization model, the monitoring model, the catapult, Omega Wave rpe just trying to kind of bridge those gaps between sports med strength and conditioning and the coaching staff uh and since then you know i've learned a whole lot on what works and what doesn't work and what works with one coach doesn't work with another coach and what works with one strength coach doesn't work with this strength coach and so it's it's been this constant evolution of okay what is performance science in the united states and you know how does it fit in within uh these different places and i think when i left texas we were in a really good spot and travis blontes is just i mean he's taken off with um, a concept that we had started and i was only there for nine months so uh and i think they're really rolling with it and have the right idea and so you know fast forward that back to kentucky and you know i just thought i'd come back to kentucky and do the same thing i did at texas and just you know plug and play and get going and you know I was kind of a surprise that it didn't really wasn't like a grand welcome home type environment that I was expecting to start developing these relationships and just hit the ground running. So it really kind of forced me to to rethink what that's going to look like here at the University of Kentucky versus the University of Texas.
0: I love it, man. So fluid periodization for your fluid periodization, we could say
1: exactly, man. Adapt, pivot, and adapt. So.
0: So then let's talk about that. Let's talk about some things, you know, as, as a guy who's, I mean, like we were just talking about, built a program and watched it burn, you know, like you know, the Targaryens built freaking Westeros and then she just burnt it all down. I mean, this isn't going to air for a while, so people probably might be over that episode of Game of Thrones by now. I'm not. <laughs> um, but let, let's talk about that, man. Let's talk about some things that you, you noticed that were great, that, that have worked and have been hiccups in other locations
1: yeah so you know at texas and it, it was interesting because at texas they were they were they'd created this department so they kind of knew what they wanted they wanted to kind of enter this field of performance science and uh, when i left the university of kentucky people had already downloaded my dissertation and kind of read it the phd came to some resemblance of instant credibility and when i got there people were really receptive to this kind of vision that i had and model which is basically uh, external load, internal load. If you can get really good at measuring those two things, then we're going to put ourselves in the best situation because we're not going to let fatigue be a limiting factor. And so I brought in Catapult. You bring in Omega megawave. you start training groups. Now, some groups, like our men's basketball team at Texas, was really into Omegawave, really into the external load tracking. They use Polar Pro, um, and they kind of got the concept. Where other sports, I just kind of had to build relationships over time and just kind of show them data points. Uh, and everything like the strength staff, I was embedded in, uh, to the Olympic strength staff and they were really bought in and and really kind of focused on trying to move the ball forward in that direction. You know, you fast forward that to Kentucky, um, what I didn't realize at Kentucky was like when Eric got here. Now, Eric was kind of like, um, you want to call him an original forward thinker, uh, we started off really hot, right? So we, we you're doing catapult, you're doing a wave, we're doing hydration, you're doing wellness and RPE and just we, we kind of got enamored with a lot of data. And and just like what we were talking about before, there was a couple athletes is that I don't want to do this. I feel like a lab rat. This is ridiculous. And so it trickles up to coaching staff and now all of a sudden it's like all this testing's bad. We don't want to do it. And and I can respect that to a certain degree but we kind of lost sight of why we were doing it to begin with. Uh, and so when I get back to Kentucky, it's things have changed, right? We're not as really receptive to um, this monitoring concept. And it really left me in this position of, well, what am I doing and why am I here? Uh, and I spent the first year and a half really kind of battling that, like trying to, to to make headway with strength and conditioning coaches and sports med and nutrition and just wasn't getting anywhere and kind of burned some bridges in that process. And so um, it really forced me to say, okay, what worked at Texas is not working at Kentucky. Um, I have this position, I want to add value, you know, what do I need to do? And so that really kind of brought me back to like, a, we call it rock bottom. It's like, we, we had to build this and figure out, okay, how am I going to work within this environment at the University of Kentucky?
0: So let's talk about that, man. Like That's a tough spot to be in, especially if there's been, you know, relationships that need to be mended and, and things that need to be rebuilt because, you know, it, people look at those things, I think, at times and they take them a little bit too much. I don't know, as like deities or like, like personally, like what those right. things are. So let's talk about that process. You know, I mean, I, I think that people look at like this whole performance science, sports science thing as it's just like a bunch of lab coats and, and nerdy guys with glasses staring at spreadsheets, but there's a lot more to it than that.
1: Right. And like I said, it I have a really good relationship with our director of leadership here at the university of Kentucky. And kind of went to him and like, you know, Jason same Jason Cummins, he's now a senior ID here, but like, here's kind of where I'm at, you know, where I came from basically. And he handed me this book. And ironically, it's a book about building a church it's called church unique. And he's like, you need to read this. And I'm like, okay, how does this translate to what I'm doing here in Kentucky? But basically, the book is all about developing your vision, uh, developing your mission and your values. Basically, it's what are we doing is our mission. Why are we doing it? uh, Our values, how are we doing it, which is our strategy, and then how are we going to be successful, which is our measures. But it really forced me to sit down and say, okay, Chris, why do you exist at the University of Kentucky? Um, And I kind of came up with with four values that really kind of, you know, basically set us in a direction to say that everything that we do here is going to be in line with this. And the biggest thing for us, I think performance science is we want to provide objective clarity and, and how we do that is we have to profile a game. So basically for the strength coach, we're using our catapult data to say, okay, these are the positional demands. This is what's going to be required of the athlete to do. With that information, then you can tailor your strength and conditioning program to allow the athletes to meet the demands of the game. So I'm not telling the strength coach, like, hey, this is how you need a program to get your athletes ready. I'm just providing clarity to the strength coach to say, hey, this is what the athlete's going to be required to do objectively. Uh, I think oftentimes in athletics, we get caught up in this subjective assessment kind of modality, meaning, oh, he looks fit or he looks strong, he looks athletic. Uh, I think the game is this, but, you know, without objective data, you're just another person with opinion. So the big, big thing we do is profile the game. Second thing is that I think a lot of places really can benefit is, you know, really good assessment of athletes. So we want to profile the athletes. So we know that what the athlete's going to be required to do, and now we need to measure the athlete's ability to do those things. And I think that's where it can get really uh tricky because a lot of the assessments that some strength coaches are doing don't necessarily align with what the athletes are going to be required to do on a game so like for american football for example we and it's evolved so much on how we condition so when i played it, it used to be a 300 meter shuttle right so all this just glycolytic and that has no really specific condition it doesn't really represent what the athlete's going to be required to do and so when i tell people like hey the aerobic system is really, really important for football players. that kind of look at me funny and we're like, well, it's a power sport. It's absolutely, but it's a repeat power sport. So what's responsible for supplying energy once you've depleted fossil creatine, it's the aerobic system. And so it, it's really, you know, aligning our assessments with what the athlete's going to be required to do and then identifying those strengths and weaknesses. And the last thing, a big thing that we do is just kind of monitor the process and, um, Make sure that our athletes are going from A to B. So, the biggest thing that we don't want to do, and this is kind of a research project that we're doing right now, is a student comes in as a freshman. We're trying to create these Madden profiles. So, I can say based on your current test, whether that's bench, squat, power clean, 40 meter sprint, aerobic capacity, all these things, this is how you compare in a percentile. And this is how we weight each one of these attributes. And it gives you an overall score. So let's just say as a freshman, you come in as a 50, you're in the 50th percentile. We know with historical data that it's gonna you're going to have to get a minimum of an 80 by the time you get to a senior. That's kind of our threshold to even be considered for the NFL. The biggest thing that I'm interested in is the growth path from freshman to senior year. So if I know that the average growth from a freshman to a sophomore is to go from a 50 to a 62 If an athlete then comes back and measures below that graph or below that growth rate, then we can have a sit-down conversation with the athlete to figure out, okay, is this something within our control? Meaning, are you struggling in school? Are we struggling nutritionally, financially? And we can have that conversation and say, hey, this is where you're at and this is where you want to be. Every kid wants to go to the NFL, right? So we're not on path right now to get to the NFL. So we need to make some changes. And I think oftentimes we... We don't catch those things until junior year when it really starts, pressure time starts getting, they're really deficient. We're trying to head that off uh, before it becomes a problem.
0: I love the fact, too, that you're playing with the video game mantra because, I mean, these kids are all so engulfed. I mean, like it would be like 2K for basketball and, you know, how that works. Right.
1: Yeah, and the hard part is, you know, with team sport, and this is why I'm fascinated with thoroughbreds because thoroughbreds are just, it's just a machine. So you eliminate a lot of that team dynamics thing. And so like if you're a complete Madden profile or the complete MB2K uh, profile is going to have a technical and tactical component, which you really rely, rely on the coach's subjective evaluation of the athlete. Um, but it's something. And I think a lot of times the athletes want to know where they stand. And if you break the game down into the individual technical components and tactical components and you evaluate them and you evaluate them often. It allows the athlete to see, okay, what's in it for me if I come into the gym early, get nutrition in and get and work hard. They want to see their rating go up. They want to see the return on their investment. And this generation is so instant gratification. The more often you evaluate, the more it's going to sink in with them. So, for example, I've suggested that we put basically instead of doing a pre-test post-test, Every day is an assessment. You get in the rack, we're going to record your last working set. So if we're going to say you're doing three sets of five on your last set of five, I'm going to estimate your one RM every single day. Now, some days you're going to be up and some days you're going to be down, but it allows the athlete to say, okay, how did I do this time compared to last time? Oh, my strength went up. All right, are there good behaviors? Did I sleep a lot that week? So you're kind of ingraining these positive behaviors that you want by showing them progress week to week to week instead of just saying, hey, we're going to do a pre-test in January, and we're going to do our post-test at the end of March before spring ball. So there's a lot of time there that I think you can maximize on positive behavior reinforcement.
0: I think that's a sensational idea, especially because I think the more that we're looking at these things when it comes to the entire – monitoring programming building thing the the idea of having the training be the evaluation and vice versa is becoming so much more important especially because people are starting to see more and more the importance of actually running and like to be fast and things of that nature Mm -hmm.
1: so in the summer we do a similar thing for the guys is you know every week uh coach Edmund wants to do a flying 30 And so we're comparing every, and the thing of a maximal sprint training, it has to be maximal. So, you know, giving those guys feedback, like, hey, the last week your flying 30 went down by this much. And this is how you compare it to the rest of the people in your group. Uh, And it kind of gives those kind of competition, right? So, you know, we're motivating them to run fast, but we're also saying, okay, you know, always better your best. And the way that you can do that is simply getting sleep eating right and doing the right things. And if people start to see themselves not improving every week, they'll know that the guys that are improving are probably doing the right things. They'll start modeling that behavior.
0: Now, how is that when the team dynamic, when, when is this being broadcast like for everyone to see, or is it just for the individuals? And if it is for everyone to see, how does that then alter how these guys are handling each other, whether it be in the gym or on the track or wherever it may be?
1: Right. So, you know, every after every group, we download the catapult data and we download our timing gate data and then we give that report to the coaches. And it's funny because this past year we had just been given the report to Coach Ed, but all the players would swarm him to see kind of like, all right, what did I do compared to last week? And how do I stack against the other people? So this year uh, I'm trying to get we have a big video board on the, in the side of the weight room. That I'm going to probably link up Tableau with our GPS data and our timing gate data, and then just start making leaderboards. Now, we can make leaderboards of anything strength, how was her performance that day uh, in the weight room, and how was her performance on the field? Uh, Coach Ed's a real big speed guy. I mean, that's what he sets his training principles as. So, we'll probably report uh, max speed, flying 30s, and then percent improvements. And then we'll rock and stack. So, everyone can see kind of like, all right, did I get better this week? Uh, how am I compared to our fastest guy in the group and what I need to do to get to that top spot?
0: I love that, especially if you can also start to see you know Jeff and Jack over here aren't pulling their weight. What are they doing instead and how can we get them in line?
1: Right. And, and that's it's group accountability. So you might be able to fool uh, yourself or you might be able to fool the coaches, but when you involve their peers, it really starts to change the mindset. So I can I can slack off. I don't sometimes like some of these guys. Like, I might slack off today, and I don't care what coach thinks. But if my peers see it, uh, it's really going to bother them. So the group will then kind of hold each other accountable. And it's funny you watch the dynamics when the speeds come in; they're they're automatically dogging you know people that they beat, and it becomes this really competitive environment.
0: I love that because then you know. The competitiveness drives effort. the effort drives improvement, improvement drives results. results bring buy-in. buy-in leads to more effort, which leads to better results, which leads to more buy-in and it's it's a pretty awesome cyclical yep. thing.
1: Yeah. and so like I said, it's it's just a it's little things like that that we're trying to do to support the strength staff and say, okay, this is your vision. these are your training principles. Hey, let me meet you halfway and try to highlight what we're doing and get guys bought into it. So that's kind of how we're using the science a little bit in the summer. Um, And, you know, originally, like we used to, I used to disagree with strength coaches on their training modalities and like the science is saying this and the data is saying that. But at the end of the day, you know, my job is to kind of support, all right, we're going to go this direction as a staff. We believe in force production and we believe in speed and we believe in power okay, what can I do scientifically to help make that process easier for you and expedite your decision-making? So, I mean, it's just as simple as getting him data quicker with some context, right? This is what this athlete did today compared to the last time, compared to the team average. Is he going up or down? That allows him to have a quicker conversation with the athlete. Good, bad, or indifferent, regardless of, of training methods, we're getting better. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing that – if, if you look at some of the, um, you know, the last five years, like performance scientists kind of button heads with a lot of people, it's because, you know, that their opinion is, is different than the organizational's mission uh, because they feel like the science is saying one thing and the data is saying another. But at the end of the day, the organization's bought into this and you need to meet them where they're at and help them make them better. So that was one big thing that we've kind of learned here is just, provide objective clarity and this constant collaboration between our, our sports meds, strength and conditioning and nutritionists. So.
0: Yeah. And I think too, that when you look at a lot of those things, there can be issues that arise because people, instead of looking at them in that manner, where it can be like, they went from X to Y, everybody else went from Y to Z. You can take it for what it's worth. And this is the loads and this is what they did. And you can, you know, if, if you, You know what we should be at, you know where we should be, and you can make those decisions as opposed to taking that number and being like, you have to do this, or you have to do that, and you have to do the other thing. Like, then it gets into, you get into more of a, I don't know, like a pissing match, and then that's, no one's going to win in that situation.
1: Right. And at the end of the day, from a physiological standpoint, but all right, if we want speed to be our number one thing, our our strategy and all this is never let fatigue be a limiting factor. So how can I make sure that these kids are, you know, fresh? That we're monitoring their loads, make sure they're giving max effort, to make sure that we're kind of increasing our speed. Good, bad, or indifferent. If that's the right training method, I don't think anyone knows. And honestly, the more I've been in it, eighteen to twenty-two year olds are going to adapt to anything you put in front of them. Uh, I think that there's a marginal difference and there's probably better ways to do things, but I think at this level, I, I think it's kind of grossly uh overestimated the differences between what people think is optimal versus not optimal. And you know, research hasn't really defined what the best especially in American football. There's four, five, six papers in American football. Um, so I don't think we even really know what the best method is. So like I said, it's, it's just trying to support our, our mission and vision here as a whole, uh, using scientific principles. And, you know, this past year has been a lot better for us as a staff, uh, making sure we get the best out of
0: them. Couldn't agree more. And I think that even more so, like we don't even know for most sports, how to adequately, efficiently, safely, and properly evaluate their fitness level. Like if it's right, are they actually in whatever sport shape? You know, yeah. like we hear that all the time. Like, well, they're not in that sport shape. i mean, like, what does that mean? Like the ball, like they need to be shaped round like a basketball or whatever yeah. that shape is. A football is like, what do you mean? They need to be in that shape. But until we have the ability to evaluate what that actually is, how do we know how to train for what that is?
1: And, and that's kind of one of our the big mission is, well, providing objective clarity allows us to start to tease out, OK, in football or soccer, whatever sport, these athletes are going to be required to do X, which means that's requires this set of sub skills, meaning aerobic capacity, ability to change direction, ability to accelerate, decelerate, which then translates to these are the things that we think we need to be evaluating. That they need to have the capacity to do. So it's it's really taking a hard look doing, and doing, and it all goes back to training principles, right? NSCA, needs analysis, then analysis that need or assessment of the athlete. Like we're not doing anything that hasn't been taught or anything that, you know, people don't know. We're just using technology and we're kind of reinforcing like, hey, we thought that athletes are required to do this. They're actually required to do that. And then kind of looking into the data to say, okay, for example, our wide receivers. Uh Fergus Conley, his book Um Game Changer, there's one sentence that I took out of there and took it to heart and, and basically said that in any team sport, the overall objective is to create space and time or close space and time. So I applied that to our season this year, looking at wide receivers, are right, what's the what's the purpose of a wide receiver? Just to get open. So what in my catapult data can say, are we successful at getting open? That's looking at acceleration off the line of scrimmage what we found in that process is from week one to week 13, they lost their ability to accelerate. Now that's a key, key moment for us from, you know, the ability to accelerate at a high level to not so much by the end of 13, that can create a competitive advantage for next year. And then it's going back to our strength and conditioning staff and trying to find out why that happens. And I think a lot of that had to do with how we practice and changing practice structures. And, you know, this year we'll see if it's, we're more effective in that arena.
0: Doc this book is that thick <laughs> and the one thing you took from it is sports is create or fill space. Pretty. I mean, honestly, it's I'm just a job. Fergus does a, a,
1: this wonderful job of painting this tapestry of what it should be. And then I find myself thinking, I'm like, how in the world are you ever going to implement that? Like it just was so, and so like with us, We've been so ingrained in doing things the same way for so long. I was like, let's just start with something simple that they can get. Create space and time, close space and time. Can we be really good at that specific thing? And the coach is like a light bulb went off. That makes a lot of sense. So if that's the one thing, that's the one thing I've learned is take these small wins. Like if you got them to think about that and think, okay, how can we get this better? Then we're moving it in the positive direction.
0: I love that line. Take these small wins yep. because at the end of the day, like those small wins for what you're trying to do are huge wins for the kids that you have the opportunity to work with. Exactly.
1: So, and, and like I said, when you, <laughs> I read his book and I was just, I just got dizzy at the end of it. It's like technical, tactical. And then you have all these interactions and how all those things and what it came down to is like team sport is so complex that it's going to have so many layers and it's hard to tease out, even from a strength and conditioning, from a physical prep standpoint, how much does the physical really play into success on the court? And Kentucky basketball has kind of been disproving that model for a long time. At the end of the day, talent on the floor is going to win more games more often than not than people that are physically fit because their their threshold is so high for talent. Their madden rating is a 95 and even in fatigue states they're an 87. So, you know, it it just goes to show you that when you deal with so many different layers of what is success and if we only anchor that to wins and losses, that's a really bad system to kind of look at.
0: 1000% and I think that that's why the talk that we've heard from Val probably 7000 times is Number one is skill. With no skill, there is no athlete.
1: Yep, 100%. So let me ask you
0: this, though, Doc, before we keep running that way, It's been four or five years. You've moved in and out of the bluegrass state. What's the one lesson, the one thing that Dr. Chris Morris, when he looks at this voyage to where he is right now, where he would say to, you know, 30-year-old Jay DeMeo, when he's just starting to get into this, when he was way less gray and probably a little less disappointed in the world around him, what would be the one warning point thing you would tell him to look at when he's trying to build these programs?
1: Don't tie yourself to a method. And you hear this in strength and conditioning a lot is define your training principles and cuz everything is going to change something is going to change at some point you're going to get a new coach you're going to get a new set of athletes it doesn't work for them you can always change your methods never change your principles and what i realized when i came back here and i kind of found myself in a dark place is i needed something to anchor myself to to make sure that i was doing what i'm supposed to be doing and that was my core values which is uh relentless pursuit of knowledge objective clarity constant collaboration and be standard bearers meaning Uh, basically people may doubt what you say, but they believe what you do. So if we're asking our athletes to sleep well, eat well, train hard, like they need to be seeing us doing those things as well. And as long as I can come into work and my methods might change for providing objective clarity, a coach may not want to use catapult. Okay. Well, what other methods can I do to provide clarity in what the game of basketball is or what the game of soccer is? Uh, or you have a coach that may come in and say, you know what, uh, to a strength coach, I don't want to do Olympic lifting because I think it hurts the athletes. Well, that's a method. Uh, so what was your training principle? Why were you doing Olympic lifting to begin with? Um, and so, like I said, I think, and I, and I teach a class here on campus and it's a high performance analytics and we spent an entire lecture on just really casting vision And really, you know, for these young strength coaches, it's what are your training philosophies? What are your training principles? What do you anchor yourself to at the end of the day? And that's going to help you drive all the decisions that you make as a strength coach in varying situations between coach and coach, athlete to athlete. And it kind of gives you a compass to kind of realign yourself. And honestly, once I did that, relationships started getting better. I was able to go home at the end of the day and be like, you know what? we're actually providing value and you start seeking those small wins and um and now we're positively moving in the right direction
0: that's awesome dude that's awesome and i'm glad to hear the things are freaking still kicking butt up there brother and i'm even more excited to see that you're out there freaking running your butt off on the track and you got your staff out there did you guys just do like aerobic power intervals the other day, like or something? And, like, yeah, like your boy was laying there, and I'm like, how does my man not have a heart rate monitor and an AED attached to him right now after that?
1: So, we, yeah, we do have a heart rate, and that, that goes back to being standard bears. And we kind of came up with that concept. You know, a lot of our female athletes, women's soccer, they train across the country, right? So, they're given their running program, but a lot of times we wanted to show them, okay, what should the training process look like from start to finish? Okay, I'm I show up to the training facility. I'm gonna eat. What am I eating to make sure I'm fueled to do this workout? All right, here's the workout. All right, workout was really hard. Now, what am I gonna go do to recover from it? So I'm gonna go eat and then today I, I gave an RP over a seven, so I'm gonna go get the Norma text or I'm gonna go get in contrast or I'm gonna go do this, and we're just we're putting that on Instagram because kids live on Instagram. And if I can just show them little pieces of the training process, just repetitively, this is what you do every day to get better and show them the importance of sleep and nutrition and the easy things, then it starts to kind of click with them. So, and the fact that they can see a 35 year old out there running with them and, you know, doing their fitness tests, I think it just kind of helps. So I say, Hey, you know, misery loves company. We're right there with you. So,
0: Facts. Yeah. Big facts right there. So where can people see that? Is that on yours or is that the UK sports one? That's the UK performance
1: science. So gotcha. all of our, all of our runs, uh, and I put videos up on how we calculate maximal aerobic speed and how we use that to individualize the running distances. Um, and so like as a strength coach, you can kind of see a method um, of aerobic. And we work with our strength staff and we do this kind of collectively together and, that information on instagram because those girls are all over the country and it's just one place where instead of giving them a book we just decided to put it on instagram so
0: love it i love it brother we'll make sure we tag that below doc this is sensational brother great catching up
1: absolutely what you're
0: doing man really do thank you so much
1: thanks for having me bud
0: yeah buddy Well, we'll be in touch real soon brother all right sounds good yeah man and a huge thanks to the university of kentucky's dr chris morris for spending the time with us today and guys, how much more open, honest, and candid can you be than a, a man sitting there and critiquing himself and his own work and giving examples of where he has made mistakes and how he got better for them and what he's done to keep pushing forward? I can't thank Dr. Morris enough for being so open, honest, and candid with us today. And guys, there is a ton of gems in there. I mean, like understanding like the idea of building overall scores and looking at how they develop throughout their career and and things of that nature. That's just gold to me. So doc, truly appreciate it. And everybody make sure you're checking out UK performance science on Instagram. They really are putting out a lot of awesome content and not just like the nerdy stuff either, right? Like not just like coding or the workouts or, you know, science infographics, but actually sitting there and looking and showing what they're doing and like he talked about with what they're doing with women's soccer like actually showing the workout so kudos to you doc truly appreciate everything you're doing brother keep up the great work and as always guys if you did enjoy the talk please share it through the social media outlet of your choice facebook twitter instagram whatever it may be as always we are just trying to get the best information out there to all the great coaches that we can and as always guys thank you you for everything that you do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.